when we're young, we kind of believe that we're bulletproof. We believe that our parents are eternal, that disease is something other people experience, that death is a far-off concept. Um, But when health issues knock on your door, the minute they knock on your door, everything changes. Whole perspective changes on life. We, um, we've been, we're in a series that we're calling Ready or Not, what to do when life brings big changes. We've talked about ones that are just very, very practical um, that most people experience at some point. Today, we're going to talk about the one that is probably the most profound change that happens. It is also one that is absolutely guaranteed for you in your life. Guaranteed. And we're, going to, we're taking a look at what God might have to say about that. What perspective he can give uh, to you. Because, you know, it's, it's a universal truth. In fact, it's the second law of thermodynamics. <laughs> that everything is it's entropy. Everything is wearing down. With, practically speaking, that means that everything new that you ever get, it will break. Everything. I've spent the better part of the summer with my car in the shop. Begging it to get better. And it's not. Everything will eventually wear down. Everything will wear out. Everything will have something go wrong with it. Everything will break, including your body, including the bodies of the people who you love and cherish the most. You can kind of tell when it happens sometimes. In fact, there's a list of things that if you want to put this test to test in your life, you can find out whether it's true that you are breaking down, that you're getting old. You want some signs that you're getting old? Okay. No, you know, you already know. For those of you who need clued in, here's a couple things you might just check out. Here's one of them, that everything hurts, and what doesn't hurt doesn't work. You know you're getting old when in a hostage situation, you're likely to be released first. Or this one, you, you don't know what time Taco Bell closes anymore. For you, you turn out the lights for economic reasons rather than romantic reasons. Your back goes out more than you do. How about this? You'll know if this is true for you when this this is true, that you're asleep, but others are worried that you're dead. You sing along with the elevator music. People call you at 9 p.m. and they ask, oh, did I wake you? And they did, maybe. You wear black socks with sandals. I mean, come on, doggone it. Your ears are hairier than your head. And here's this one. Things just aren't running too smoothly down there. That's true. You may or may not find yourself saying that something's breaking down. Something's getting old. There's a reality. The reality is that this big change is going to come into your life. There's some real serious parts of it. There's some real hurting people in the room. And we want to be careful about that today. For some of us, this hits right where you are right now. Some news that you just got, or for some of us, some news you are about to get. What does God have to say about it when that kind of change comes in your life? Let's take a look. If you've got a Bible, Ecclesiastes chapter 12, we'll start right toward the middle of the Bible. Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes. I live in Ecclesiastes a lot. It just is one of the most earthy books of the Bible. It's one of my favorites. And Solomon, talking about life and what makes, gives it purpose and how meaningless it feels, he's, he's to right toward the end of his 
thoughts about it, he's going to say some things about where this, what the perspective is that happens when you realize that your life is short, that your life is going to end, that the, that the news is going to come. So in Ecclesiastes chapter 12, he's going to tell us that basically every part, every part of you will eventually wear out. Every part will eventually deteriorate. Look at Ecclesiastes 12. He said, verse 1, remember your creator when you're young. Okay, embed your thoughts about him. Embed your commitment to him in your life when you're young. Do that before this happens, before the days of trouble come and the years approach when you will say, I find no pleasure in them. There's no pleasure in my life anymore. Before the sun and the light and the moon and the stars grow dark and the clouds return after the rain. Now he's going to, this is, I I love this little passage because he's basically going to talk about what's happening to your body and give it some imagery. It says, so so when the sun and the light and the moon and the stars grow dark, clouds represent just feeling down. Most times when you see your family now, it's because of funerals. And then he says, verse 3, when the keepers of the house tremble, He's talking about strong arms that hold the house together when, the, when your muscles start to deteriorate. When, the strong, when strong men stoop, he's talking about how pe- we get bent over with age. Happens this. When the grinders cease because they're few. You know what he's talking about there? Your teeth. They stop grinding because you have less of them than you used to. More work needs done on them. And those looking through the windows grow dim. When your eyesight begins to fail more and more and and things are shutting down, things are slowing down, things are deteriorating. He says, when the the doors to the street are closed. Now, some people say that that might have to do with with the mouth. So you have speech problems. The doors to the street are closed. Other people think that the, the imagery and actually the language in the Hebrew right then is actually talking about your capacity to, um, relieve yourself when you want to. The doors to the street don't work all the time like they used to. And the sound of grinding fades. Your ears and your hearing go out. When men, men rise up at the sound of birds, you know, that's why they do early bird specials for you at four in the afternoon because you've been up since four in the morning. You can't sleep. But all their songs grow faint, again, with the hearing. When men grow afraid of heights and of dangers in the street, people get nervous about whether they'll stumble or not. When the almond tree blossoms, the almond tree, when it blossoms, it's, it's, all its buds turn white. It's like about getting gray-haired. And the grasshopper drags himself along when you just can't move like you used to. And desire is no longer is stirred, probably talking about sexual appetite. Days before Viagra here, things just don't work the way they used to. Then man goes to his eternal home. Mourners go about in the streets. So remember him. Remember God. Before the silver cord is severed or the golden bowl is broken, before your mind stops working and the pitcher is shattered at the spring or the wheel, wheel broken at the well, before this happens, the dust returns to the ground it came from and the spirit returns to God who gave it. Solomon is no dummy. He knows how life works. He's speaking for God and he says, look, you got to understand something. Change is coming into your life. It's going to get worse. (laughs) Sorry. Life on earth is short. Things will not work like they used to. And that that will happen faster than we ever thought it would happen. 
It'll come quicker than we ever imagined when we're young. And that's why Scripture says what it does in passages like this one in Psalm 144.4. That man's like a breath. His days are like, like a fleeting shadow. James in the New Testament put it this way. What's your life? You're like a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. We become aware of that. We're living life. We try not to focus on it. We hope that it won't come. And then that phone call comes. That phone call. With that news. Then that doctor appointment. That report from the doctor comes. The first time you hear in your life that there's a condition and it's not going to get better. That this is a permanent condition this is a chronic condition this is a terminal condition that things are not going to get better here's something that god says about the world we inhabit it's a fallen world there's sin in it. there's a good god over it but look this world is is winding down it is not home anymore and because of that there are destructive things that happen. You inhabit a world where you're breathing in toxins all the time. You can't escape it. The world has fallen. The world is dying. And everything in it will find its way toward that. Have you came yet today? (laughs) And here's the thing. Even with a good God, even with a sovereign God, God says, look, this is the consequences of the sin of the world, that this stuff is going to happen and it's going to come seemingly indiscriminate to you. Flip back to uh, Ecclesiastes chapter 9, verse 11. We saw this uh, earlier in this series. I've seen something else under the sun. The race. This is like the, how, how things just... There's, it seems like things don't have any rhyme or reason to them. And the race is not won by the swift. The battle is not won by the strong. Nor does food come to the wise or wealth to the brilliant or favor to the alerted. But time and chance happen to them all. Yes, there's a sovereign God in, in charge. But we inhabit a world where, it's, where he says there's this indiscriminate thing that happens. Change is going to come into your life. It won't make sense to us. Now, look, look what he says in verse 12. Moreover, no man knows when his hour will come. As fish are caught in a cruel net or birds are taken in a snare, so men are trapped by evil times that fall unexpectedly upon them. And you get the call. You get the news. Is there ever a good time for it to come? I mean, you say, oh, this comes at a terrible time. This is the worst possible time. Is there ever a good time? It comes indiscriminately. And when it comes, it comes in one of a couple ways generally. It comes in news that you realize is going to be long-term, like we just heard, slow, excruciating, without a whole lot of hope. Although we try try to do something about it, that this is going to be a long draining process it might come like that or perhaps it comes fast it comes shocking it comes final let me ask you which of those would you prefer neither if you go through one you probably wish it was the other one until you go through that one where it's so so different and you say oh what am i supposed to do with that it's harsh when it comes. There's a sting to it. Paul the Apostle said that, that, that when death, death and sin have a sting to them, he's quoting the Old Testament when he says it, there's a sting that hits us, and a sting never feels right. It never feels good. It's harsh. When it happens, even if it's, the news is not about you yourself, it can carry major 
implications and responsibilities in your life. This is true for a lot of people sitting here right now. You've got weight on you as a result of news that's happening to somebody else. There's major responsibilities. There's adjustments that have to be made that you didn't ask for. Maybe you don't think that you deserve, but they got laid at your feet. Do you know there's statistics about this in our country? Let me just share a couple with you. The percentage of adult children who are providing personal care and or financial assistance to their parents. In the last 15 years, that percentage of adult children in our country has tripled. 22 million Americans right now are caring for parents, or an older relative, according to the AARP, it currently represents about a quarter of adult children. If you are an adult child, you look around the room, and one-fourth of us in the room are carrying a burden because of this big change that's happened in somebody's life. It has an effect on you. Case Western University did a study and said that providing long-term care has this effect on people that increased tendencies toward arthritis, back trouble, hypertension, chronic fatigue, and depression among family members who are charged with caring for aging relatives. It descends on you. And it can be so incredibly draining. It can feel, it can be so costly. It can put you in a position where if we're honest, some of us kind of wish, we don't want to say, we just kind of wish the end would come for the relief. I got a, um, an email this summer. In fact, I copied it down. June 12th. It's a guy I've served with on a, on a, on a board of an organization. He's a pastor. His name's Jim Pearson. Pastor's in Fort Wayne, Indiana just a couple years older than me. And I'd seen him not too long before June 12th. And and I got this email on June 12th that says that Jim Pearson suffered a stroke on uh, on June 12th. June 14th, I got another email that says, yeah, it was confirmed. Now, here's what the email said. The stroke affected his, his right side of his body. However, the visit was lucid, coherent, and conversant. He didn't seem too tired, so it gave some hope. That's June 14th. June 15th, I get an email. Jim Pearson has been diagnosed with advanced cancer of his esophagus. Never smoked. He's also experiencing other severe complications as well. This may have had something to do with prompting a stroke. It's currently at the IU Medical Center in Indianapolis. They're determining the causes and full extent of the disease. On June 18th, I get another note. A second opinion confirms stage 4 esophageal cancer. Hopefully... By next week, he will regain some of his strength, be moved back to Fort Wayne to begin a rehabilitation. Once he's stabilized, he'll be facing four to six weeks of chemotherapy and radiation treatment once they return to Fort Wayne, June 24th, six days later. It was reported he's not able to return home due to kidney and other complications. He continues to be a patient at the IU Medical Center in Indianapolis. Two and a half weeks later, July 10th, this is this summer, Jim Pearson passed away, July 10th. In in the space of less than a month, this change came into his life. It came into my life. I'm stunned. This is not somebody who is like my great-grandfather. Somebody I've worked with. This is somebody I care about. This is somebody I respect. This is somebody who's vibrant and full of life. What am I supposed to do with that? 
I'm not going to solve that for you today. I'm not going to give you something that makes you feel better. But, but there, God does give some perspective. Here, here's, can I just tell you what the assumption we have in, in this, what we're talking about through this series in this. And I know this assumption is not true for everybody in the room. But, but we're going to make this assumption when we talk. The, the assumption is that we're going to talk as if you have a desire to see God be at the center of how you do life. That there's some part of us that says we believe he's got the best way to navigate this stuff and we want to hear from him. We want to follow it because we believe on some level that he's right and true about this. I know that you may have not crossed lines of faith there yet. You may be exploring. That's fine. But we're going to, I'm going to come from that assumption that, that even if you're not there yet, that if you cross a line of faith and you make Jesus Christ the Savior of your life, the leader of your life, that he will bring you to a place where you say, okay, how do I do this God's way? God, what, where are you? How do I do this with you? These principles come from that assumption. And here's, here's just a handful for with them. I'm going to invite you to turn back to the left in your Bible to Psalm 39 to start. When it comes to navigating the big change of health issues coming, presenting themselves in our lives, what does God say? Well, among the things his word seems to say is this. First of all, don't be caught off guard by it. Be aware and be prepared for it. Psalm 39, verse 4. David's writing. Show me, O Lord, my life's end and the number of my days. Let me know how fleeting is my life. You've made my days a mere handbreadth. The span of my years is as nothing before you. Each man's life is but a breath. Man is a mere phantom as he goes to and fro. He bustles about, but only in vain. He, he heaps up wealth, not knowing who will get it. And then he says this. This is kind of like his perspective that he puts on it. But now, Lord, what do I look for? He just makes a very simple statement. We're going to come back to this at the end. My hope is inclined toward you. I'm making a shift with how I, I do my life with, with the perspective of a hope that I have in you. I mean, David says it pretty bluntly, doesn't it? Look how short life is. It's like a breath. He, God was, here's what we need to understand. You're, you're not going to dodge this bullet. You may have dodged some to this point, but you will not dodge it forever. There are a whole lot of us in the room who have who've had the bullet wing us or hit us in even life-threatening ways. So, understand that and let that fact alter your perspective on life. Go to your right, to Psalm 90. This is the one psalm in the, psalm, uh, in the collection of psalms that's written by Moses. Moses wrote a psalm. Songbook of Israel. Moses wrote one of them. This is the one he wrote, Psalm 90. And in it, he says this in verse 9. And following, all our days pass away under your wrath. God, we finish our years with a moan. He loves God, but he knows this is true. We finish our years with a moan. That's true for most everybody. The length of our days, it's 70 years or 80 if we have the strength. Yet their span is but trouble and sorrow. For they quickly pass and we fly away. Who knows the power of your anger, God? For your wrath is as great as the fear that is due you. So teach us to number our days aright. Look at verse 12, the second part. We may gain a heart of wisdom through it. 
There's an exercise God has for us in life when, we, when we're looking at how long we're going to live. To not just live for today, not just live for the moment, but understand those days are ticking down. This is a very finite time. And by focusing, not to be morbid about it, not to say, oh, we're all going to die, but to say, because of that, let me affect, have, let that affect how I view my life. And if I do that, God says wisdom comes out from that. Wisdom, altering your values and your priorities, your perspective, your actions in light of the knowledge of the brevity of life. They tell you, don't start thinking about your retirement when you turn 60, right? Think about it when you're 25 or 30 at the latest, and all of us go, oh, no, really? Why? Because wisdom says that if you understand what you've got to plan for, it'll change your present and your perspective on it. God would say this to us. Look, your arms are going to need to be strong soon. Your arms are going to need to hold up somebody. Your arms are going to need to serve somebody who you love. Your arms may be needed to be strong because of your own condition. Don't wait for that moment to hope that they're strong. Strengthen them now. Live your life in such a way that you are focusing on the things that are important and on your character, on your heart, on the things that will be strong, on your endurance. Do the right thing in a sustained way now so that when the time comes and you feel overwhelmed by all the responsibilities and the trips to the doctor and the and the visits in the hospital and the uncertainty that your arms will not be weak at that moment. They'll be strengthened because all the way you've been aware this is coming. Prepare for it. And then his word will talk about the way we endure it, the way we go through it. There's a principle from Scripture. We talk about it all the time around here about pain in our life. And when pain comes in our life, the, the nature within us will be to avoid the pain, to back off the pain, to try to solve the pain. And God will say, when you see pain, move toward it and move through it. Linger in the pain. It's the most unnatural thing in the world. But understand that in the midst of lingering in that pain with someone else, that's where God shows up. In Lamentations 3.27, uh, the, the prophet says that um, it is good. God, he's speaking for God. It's good to bear the yoke when you're young. Understand that it's not that when you get old and it's time for you to be weak is the time to think about these things. It's when you're young and you're strong. So rather than see disease, somebody who's suffering, somebody who's needy as something to kind of avoid and not know what to do with, move with mercy and servanthood, linger with them, move into it. Job's friends the good thing they did before they got really bad theology thrown all over the place, the good thing they did was when he, they saw his, their friend was suffering, instead of saying, well, I'll send you a note. I hope things are good. Keep me posted. They moved toward him. They sat with him for seven days. They went into his pain with him. They didn't try to solve it at that moment. That was when they were at their best. It's good to bear that yoke in your youth. Here's the thing. Every one of us is handed a script every day. You don't write the script. You don't get to write it. God writes the script. There's a whole lot of those days I don't like my part that day. I want to be the star today. I don't want to be a bit player. I want to have victory today. I don't want to have to linger in hard times. But you are handed a script. You don't get to choose what it is. God says, you want to follow me? I've got a plan. Trust my plan. I'm the director. Here's your script. 
Some of us get handed a script and that script says today is the day you get the news about your loved one. Today's the day things have to shift because now you're going to have to make plans to go help care for somebody some of the time. When that happens, don't withdraw from it. Don't demand that the script be different. There's this, you know, Psalm 23 gets abused, I think, because it only gets read at funerals half the time. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want, you know. Yeah, we, oh, it's funerals, right? Psalm 23 isn't written for funerals. It's good to have it at a funeral, that's fine. But it's talking about the days of the living. It's talking about going through hard times, too. Here, here's a portion of Psalm 23. It says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You've probably heard that before, right? But just look at it for a minute. This doesn't say, even though I'm, di- I, I, I'm dying or somebody near me has died, you're with me. This says, even though I'm walking through a valley. It's the valley of the shadow of death. It's what reminds us that life is brief. It's a hard time. David walked through that valley many, many times, long before his life was over. It's at those moments, he says, there, there, this, the, the principle of God is keep walking through the valley. Enter into the valley. Don't try to run out of the valley. You're walking through the valley and understand when you do that you're not alone there. That God says, I'll walk there with you. I will provide resources for you in the middle of that while you walk through the valley. You know what? One of the things I love about my wife, she has this way. When there's somebody who is sick or, or elderly, we go to nursing homes perhaps sometimes or hospitals or somebody who's a relative who is diseased. My wife will move. As soon as she sees that person, she will sit down to the next to them. She, will, she touches them. Now, I don't know where this came from for me, but I have this little aversion that I have to overcome. And I've learned to overcome it some. That when I get around somebody who's, I, I guess it's because if you're, if you're, you got the flu, I don't want you sneezing on me, right? Well, I kind of take that and say, if you've got cancer, there's something about ooze. Can I, t- can I touch you? Is it okay? Is it okay to be around you? And we have a whole lot of people who say, it's, it's something like something's wrong with the person beyond just the fact that the vehicle they're in is suffering. Like they're a different person inside. It's the same person inside. It's a soul who God loves. You, they're walking through a valley. And God would say, you move toward that pain. My wife goes in and she will grab that person's hand. She will put their arm around them. She will, she will let them know how dear they are to her. It's an example to me. It's an example of Jesus. Who when he was around sick people, moved right toward them. He touched lepers. He touched people who, who everybody else said were unclean. He moved toward the people in the midst of their pain and their suffering. He endured through that with them. So you move toward it, into it, close enough to touch. When you're in there, then the, the Bible has got principles that talk about what, what our attitude is when you get this news, when you're trying to walk through it. An attitude that says we focus on something while we're there. Here's, take a look. I think we have this for you. Proverbs 18.4. Um, Just a very simple statement in the Proverbs. A man's spirit sustains him in sickness. That's all it says. A man's spirit sustains him in sickness. Well, stop and think about that for a minute. When somebody's sick, what gets them through it? Well, it's not the promise of medical healing. And it's not that, you know, somebody waves a magic wand. It's something that comes out of their spirit. Something inside them. It's the focus of their heart that 
that kicks in. It has something to do with their attitude. We have a default way we think when we get that phone call, when we get that news, when the big change of health issues comes and presents itself and lands itself in our lap. We want to get out of this as as quickly as we can. We want to minimize the, the loss or the pain. And then often our focus becomes on how miserable life is and how wrong it is and how much of a victim we are because this happened to us now. This shouldn't have happened to me now. I don't need this. I didn't ask for this. Why did this happen when I'm so young? Why did this happen to me and not somebody who doesn't even want to follow God? Where's, that, where's the justice in this? We get, we get this victim mentality that drives us through that. God steers us and says, whoa, whoa, whoa. Focus. You were handed a script. Your job is to read the script and to in, embed yourself in the story to the best of the way that honors me. That's what I'm asking you to do. I'm asking you to trust me. You can put your focus on being a victim or you can put your focus on something else. God's going to call it grace. You can put your focus on the fact that there is a God who is kind and loving and caring, who doesn't think like you think, doesn't make sense to you all the time, but but who is a God who gives what you do not deserve. And that grace is enough for you. That's the passage that Paul the Apostle dealt, said in, in 2 Corinthians when he's given this thorn in the flesh. And then he says what he did with it. He says three times, three different times, I begged the Lord to take it away. And each time his response was this, my gracious favor, my grace is all you need. My power works best in your weakness. So, Paul says, I made an adjustment to my attitude. So now I'm glad to boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may work through me. That shift is really significant and it is wondrous when you see it. A lot of you know that um, this summer uh, my brother lost his wife after a 12-year battle with cancer. Um, Hillary and I shared several times with each other about what it was like to to go through some of that civil... Similar stuff. She, her children were um, just babies. One was a year and a half and one was less than a year when she was diagnosed with cancer. And um, in her lifespan, Tammy endured two complete sets of lifetime maximums of uh, radiation therapy. She, was on, she had five different surgeries on her brain. It's brain cancer. Um, she was on chemo of one form or another, the entirety of those 12 years. There have been many, many times where it's been so hard to ache from a distance, not knowing how to help. They live outside Chicago. Hear how things are going. And every time there's another scan, we're on pins and needles waiting to hear what that news is. And at best, it was, it was never good. At best, it was neutral. <laughs> And then over the last year, it got worse and worse. We saw them about a year ago now, and it was clear that she was really deteriorating badly. In the course of all this time, I would talk to my brother, sometimes in person, sometimes on the phone. His faith was stretched in ways that I can't even imagine. Um, He says he's a follower of Jesus. But there were times when he told me, and he's given me permission to tell you, There are times he has been so incredibly angry at God that he cursed God. 
So did I. He told me, I can't endure this. I can't keep doing this. This is killing me. I, I can't be enough for her. This, I, I can't keep doing this. I had no answers for him, and um, no one else did either. I would just pray and tell him, it's all right to say it. This June, right after school got done, she was in her last days, and um, our family got a chance to go and to see her. It had been a while. It's been since November that we'd seen her, and she was really, really in, in bad shape. She, could, she couldn't really talk. Um, she couldn't focus. She couldn't uh, walk. She, they got her up to go up and down steps a little. And I, we witnessed something. Because my nieces, who are now 14 and 12, I guess, at the time, 13 and 12, 14, 12, were there, and my brother. And they had a little system that would go where um, when it was time for her to eat, or time for her to go to the restroom, or time for her to get ready for bed, they would all work together. A little harness that they put around her, and then he would have around him. And they had stairs that they had to go up. And she wanted to sleep in her own bed, and there wasn't room to put it anywhere else. And so they would hoist her, and they would help her take one step, and then the girls would be behind, and they would move her foot onto the next step. And this process could take 45 minutes. We saw them rally around her, we saw them feed her and bathe her. We heard stories of how they would be, do, do some of the hardest, dirtiest jobs you could ever imagine because of their, it was their mother and their wife. And in the midst of that, I was talking to my brother outside after she had gone to bed one night, and I asked him, how are you doing this? How, how, how are you doing? He said something that I will never forget. He said, if I can serve her this way for the rest of our lives, I would sign up for that. I can, right now, he says, I don't know where this is coming from, but he said, when I get up in the night with her and I have to clean our sheets, when I have to take her and do whatever we have to do together, he says, while I'm doing it, I sit there and I think, this is an honor. This is a privilege. I don't understand that. But I understand how it's true for him. Because God has said something. When you walk through the valley of the shadow, when you feel like you have no strength, there's a provision that I will give. It won't be easy. It's excruciatingly painful, but there is something called grace. That's given to you. It's a favor that will carry you, that will help you, that will enable you in ways that you don't think are possible. In the midst of that, God says, my glory is going to evidence itself through your life. And I wanted you to know that the glory of God evidenced itself in that moment for us. Marcia and I and my, our daughter, we looked at them and said, this feels like holy ground. There is something going on here far beyond our capacity to understand. Here's another provision, last one we'll talk about today. When you get this news, when this change comes into your life, 
that the focus can shift from, the, from the, what's wrong with it to the grace that you have through it. And then the thing that carries us, the thing we're given to, to, uh, to focus on is what the Bible is going to call hope. Hope that this condition, that what we're walking through right now, as long-term as it seems, as, it seems, as hopeless as it seems, this is not permanent. This is not how it will always be. Psalm 30, verse 5, we have a, a song, a praise song we sing that has words like this. Weeping may remain for a night, but rejoicing, joy, will come in the morning. We don't know when the morning is, but the morning is coming. There will be joy that comes, even if, even if it's death. Even if, like you heard Hillary say, that, that quote, healing comes through the tears of death. There is something that's true about God. God looks at that death and God says it's precious. This is uh, Psalm 116.15. Precious in in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. Why? Because he cares, because he hurts, but because he gives a hope that this is not where it all ends. That there's an absolute assurance that's coming. That that sting of death will be swallowed up. This is first... I love this passage right now, 1 Corinthians 15, 54, 55. When the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality, then that saying that is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Remember how the Bible said that there's a sting to death? Then then it'll be said, oh, where, where, oh, death is your victory? Where, oh, death is your sting? There is a fact that's true about this, that this, what we're living right now is the front end of an eternal life. Whether it's 60 years or 70 or 80 or 90 years, or if, whether it's 12 years or 2 years, well, however long that lasts, it pales in comparison to the fact that this is just the front end of an eternal life. That God has a hope for us. That there is an absolute assurance that death and all the things, all the issues that we deal with are going to get swallowed up by life. I can focus on the fact that there is pain and and people I love suffering. But you know what? There is a hope. I have a hope. That hope is that that is not the way it will end. That's not how the story ends. That that, that death is going to be swallowed up by life. I watch my sister-in-law suffer and fight and go through the times of decay in her body. But you know what? I have a hope. And that hope sustained me through it and that hope sustains me now and that hope continues in the, their family and in our family. There is a hope that her life has not ended. She just got done with the preliminaries. That death has been swallowed up by victory in her life. That the perishable has put on the imperishable in her life. There is news that comes into our lives. There is weight that you are carrying, caring for loved ones and walking through desperate times and painful times. And it feels like it'll never end. But listen, there is a hope. The hope is that there is a life that's found in the Son of God and when He gives life, it never leaves. It is eternal and it is full and complete. Hold on to the hope. Knowing that you don't know how long till we get there, but this is not the end. The big change can teach us. The big change can make us weak. It can make us dependent. But the big change only serves to stand in stark relief with the hope that we have of eternity. I want to ask you a very simple question. 
Are you holding on to a hope today? Do you have that hope? That hope is not there because you believe there's a God. Doesn't believe it's not there because you hope for the best. That hope is found in the risen Son of God, Jesus Christ, who has conquered death, who, who absorbed all its punishment and all its pain and all its disease and is risen with healing in his wings. That hope is found in having a relationship, a personal faith relationship with him where we have come to the end of ourselves and we say, I need to receive from you a gift that I can't earn, the gift of your forgiveness and your life, and he gives it freely. That's where the hope comes from. Has news radically changed your world about this? News about your own health situation. News about the health of somebody else near you. Hold tight to the focus of grace in your life. Before we got started this morning, I sat in the room, and I often do this, and I'll just take a little time and pray, band rehearses, and I, I tried to pray over the room. And I was thinking about the fact that I'm going to say something that can sound cliche, that God says he's got grace that's sufficient for you. And suddenly, I don't know, it was one of those weird moments. I don't know if it, where it came from. I'm going to guess it came from God's spirit, and he just simply, this, the question came to my mind, my grace sufficient for you right now? Is it sufficient? Is it enough? I had a moment where I had to live out what I was about to teach to say, I can focus on the pain and being a victim, I can focus on all the hard things, that, that responsibilities, or in this moment I can shift and I can say, I'm going to let the fact that you love me, that you are, can be trusted, that you are in control, God, that your plan is taking me somewhere and your plan will ultimately result in victory swallowing up death i can let that be enough for me right now will you let it be enough for you